Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Avinu, we thank you for your presence this morning. We pray that your Word would go forth to encourage your people, O God, and build up your community. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to level with you this morning. I'm a little behind in the New Covenant reading cycle with the sermons. So we are currently reading from John 15, and in my most recent sermon, we talked about everything that happens uh, up until John 12. That is the entrance of the unpopular king. Do we remember that? Yes? Okay, some of us. So this is Yeshua's entrance into Jerusalem in the final week of his life. This moment in John 12 begins the second half of the gospel narrative, focusing solely on the last week of Yeshua's life. So in the last sermon I gave, we didn't actually get to the entrance because I summarized the first 11 chapters of John. I just wanted to to, to get us all on the same page because it's a lot of lot of stuff there. And so this week I'm going to cover the actual entrance in John 12 and go up to John 13. But that's as far as I think I can go. And next time I preach, I'll try to get us back on track. You know, I'll do 14 through, you know, wherever we are then. Okay. Does that, is that okay? Is that kosher with you guys? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, cover, you know, too much, gloss over, miss anything, but I also want to try to stay with the, the reading cycle. So we'll see if we can do that. All right. Great. So what did we see in John 1 through 11? We saw Yeshua's fulfillments of the Jewish festivals like Hanukkah and Shabbat and Sukkot and Passover and how he claimed to give the full meaning of these events and also his connection to the sacred place like the temple in Jerusalem. But we also found an interesting pattern. The narrative describes that the more signs and wonders Yeshua did, the more connections to the God of Israel and the calendar of Israel and the people of Israel that he made, the more that he claimed a shared identity with the God of Israel, what happened to the crowds? They got more and more upset. Remember that? Yeshua gave up his life, but he also gave up his reputation, his desire to be popular, slowly moving toward death and rejection for us, that we can have life and acceptance. He had some followers, but many who rejected him. He was not teaching to get more likes on Instagram, right? Hashtag blessed. (laughs) More like hashtag eat my flesh and drink my blood. Not exactly winning over the crowds with that one. Okay. Yeshua raises Lazarus from the grave after four days with just his what? His voice, right? And so the crowds not only want to kill Yeshua, but also 
Lazarus. That is, they want to kill him again. So I don't know what, what they're, they must be thinking. We can't have a resurrected man walking around witnessing to the life-giving power of this strange Messiah, shepherd, king. So we got to get rid of him and the guy he resurrected. I don't know. I don't know what their plan was. And we see, we also see that we have uh, started to, some of the people have started to recognize him as the descendant of King David, that is the Messiah. And he's been hinting at his kingship throughout the narrative of John. So uh, this is one example early on. This is John chapter 1. We're going back to chapter 1, if that's okay. In verse 48, uh, one of his students, Nathaniel, has this exchange with Rabbi Yeshua. Natanel said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Natanel said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Okay. But the people wanted and expected a different kind of king. They had an image of what that was. You know, a charismatic, popular, military, political leader. Right? And Yeshua, of course, does not accept this vision of, of what they're putting on him. So we see that also. So in John 6, uh, we're up to John 6, so we're moving forward, right? And this is in verse 14. This is after Yeshua multiplies the fish and the loaves for the people to eat. We find this exchange. When the people saw the miracle he had performed, they said, this has to be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. Yeshua knew that they were on the point of coming and seizing him in order to make him king. But it was their kind of king, right? So he went back to the hills again. This time he went by himself. So he rejects their uh, very kind offer. And so we see that this is, he's some kind of a king, right? But he's different from your, what, what they were expecting, your average type of monarch, okay? So when he enters Jerusalem in John 12, he's prepared us for this new vision of the Messiah King. So this is the sequel to my last sermon. This is the entrance of the unpopular king, part two. But we're going to add some more uns. We had an un, we had unpopular, so we're going to add some uns to, to the uniqueness of King Yeshua. Not only do we see that he is unpopular, but we're going to learn more about this interesting and enigmatic leader. Now, last month, my wife and I had a date night at a local fair in Caroline County. Uh, we went uh, hang gliding, we went on a hang gliding ride uh, where you ride on your stomach and you fly up and down in a circle. Um, we were uh, not feeling so hot after that. We danced to a, a live local country rock band. We made up our own choreography to the song. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and of course, we saw a wide display of animals, one of which plays a very important role in John 12. Do we know what animal this might be? Let's take a look. Ta-da! This is a picture of me and a donkey. Do we have another one? All right. Now, to avoid any confusion, I am on the right. Okay? I got to see these animals up close, and let me tell you, they are not majestic, okay? When you think of the entrance of a king, you think of maybe a stately white horse, right? But these donkeys, right? Can you imagine the king of the Jews riding into town 
on one of those. Once a friend of mine told me that uh, when he was in Sunday school, thank you, Robert, uh, they were discussing this very narrative. The teacher explained that Yeshua came to Jerusalem for the last time riding on his own donkey, except the teacher used another word, like a King James word, uh, for, for that, for donkey. And uh, my friend apparently got in trouble because this amused him. Uh, but you, you could see why, right? This, the, and, and here we're coming across the second un, right? This is the entrance of the unpopular and undignified king. So let's take a look at this episode in John 12, and uh, let's uh, see uh, let's see the crowd's welcome. This is how they're welcoming him, and let's say the welcome of the crowd together. So it should all be in bold, I think. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna say that together. All right. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's enough donkeys. <laughs> I had two pictures. All right. <clears throat> The next day, the huge crowd that had come up for the feast heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, everyone, Hoshiana, Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Good job. You guys, did you practice that before? You sounded good. You even did the Hebrew well. Finding a young donkey, Yeshua sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Yeshua was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that the crowd had done these things for him. Okay? So why do they have palm branches? Any ideas? Well, what do you think? To understand this, we have to look at one of my favorite things to look at, besides my wife. And that is, let's all go to the context. Let's all go to the context. Let's all go to the context, because source material is key. (laughs) For better or worse, that's not the only song in this sermon. Okay. Uh, stay tuned. So anyways, let's look at the source of their greetings to Yeshua. This is from a psalm, Psalm 118, that they're, uh, they're, they're talking about. That's where they get the Baruch Haba welcome, those, those lines. The palm branches in Psalm 118 could be a reference to, drumroll please, what do you think? Sukkot. Yeah, you were thinking it, right? Okay? I mean, we know that it's it's going to lead to his death, right? So Yeshua's entrance in Jerusalem is intense. Get it? Like Sukkot, intense? No? All right. But, uh, but seriously, seriously, okay? Perhaps the messianic themes of Sukkot are being referenced here with the palm branches. Palms are used for the festival of Sukkot. And, uh, which has messianic overtones, right? And points toward the final redemption and throwing off the yoke of the nations over Israel and God being king over the whole earth. This is part of, uh, our Sukkot celebration, right? Okay. Historians have found evidence that Psalm 118 was also used for the liturgy of Sukkot, uh, traditionally, as well as for kings that are returning. 
Sukkot, of course, is what season? Yeah, it's the fall. And Yeshua's entrance is when? It's in the spring. It's, it's just before Passover. So, um, so it, it, it references Sukkot, Psalm 118, but also has elements of Passover in it, with the Messianic king rescuing his people from slavery or from exile, right? That's, those are the themes of, of Passover. Um, perhaps the palm branches were about both. So it's both a reference to Sukkot and Passover, both festivals that point toward the final redemption, okay? There's another possible uh, reason for the waving of the palm branches. This was how they traditionally greeted a king and a rescuer. About 200 years earlier, this is how they greeted uh, a rescuer king as recorded in 1 Maccabees, okay? So this is part of the, the Hanukkah story. Do we have it? All right. On the 23rd day of the second month in the year 141 BCE, there was a great celebration in this city because this terrible threat to the security of Israel had come to an end. Simon and his men entered the fort singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving while carrying palm branches and playing harps, cymbals, and lyres. So, in John 12, the crowd has gathered in favor of Yeshua because of the miracle of Lazarus to welcome him with these connections to Sukkot and Passover and to welcome him as a king because they're referencing the source material is Psalm 118. And they cry out. What do they cry out? Hoshiana. Sometimes Hosanna, right? Deliver us. And then they say, Baruch Haba. Yeah, Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or Baruch Haba also means welcome. Welcome is the name of the Lord. But maybe that's not enough context for you. I hear you. I hear you. What is the full story of Psalm 118, right? This is one of the most quoted and referenced psalms in the Greek writings. It's mentioned or alluded to at least 24 times, according to one source I found. So that's a lot of mentions for one, one chapter, right, in the, in the New Covenant. So what's going on here? It's a picture of a worship service, perhaps for what festival? Sukkot, right. And that was used by a priest and the king and the children of Israel. They all have a part to play. And it tells a story of the triumph of the Davidic king, the representative of Adonai's kingship and victory. So the priest starts with a call to worship, a call to thanksgiving, and the congregation responds responsively, right? So let's read it responsively, and you can all say the parts in bold, similar to how it was probably used for Sukkot worship. So this is Psalm 118, with a little bit of context. Does that sound good? You with me? All right. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good, for his grace continues forever. Now let Israel say, his grace continues forever. Now let the house of Aharon say, his grace continues forever. Now let those who fear Adonai say, his grace continues forever. So this is the opening, Thanksgiving. And now the king 
tells the story about how God saved them. So now we're going into the, uh, the next chapter. From my being hemmed in, I called on Yah. He answered and gave me more room. With Adonai on my side, I fear nothing. What can human beings do to me? With Adonai on my side is my help. I will look with triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Adonai than to trust in human beings. Better to take refuge in Adonai than to put one's trust in princes. The nations all surrounded me. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. They surrounded me like bees, but were extinguished as quickly as a fire in thorns. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. You pushed me hard to make me fall, but Adonai helped me. Yah is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of rejoicing and victory is heard in the tents of the righteous. Adonai's right hand struck powerfully. Adonai's right hand is raised in triumph. Adonai's right hand struck powerfully. I will not die. No, I will live and proclaim the great deeds of Yah. Yah disciplined me severely, but did not hand me over to death. So this is the victory that the king is proclaiming that the Lord brought. Does that make sense so far? Okay, and then after proclaiming the victory, we enter into holy space. We enter into the temple. That, that is where the presence of God is, and we continue to proclaim his rescuing. Okay, so we're moving forward. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter them and thank Yah. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous can enter it. I am thanking you because you answered me. You became my salvation. The very rock that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This has come from Adonai, and it is and in our eyes, it is amazing. This is the day Adonai has made a day for us to rejoice and be glad. Okay? These are familiar verses, right? They're quoted a lot. So now we have told what God has done for the king, and we're in the temple, and we've entered into his house. Now we make our request known to God that he would continue to rescue us fully on that day, on the day of the Lord. Please, Adonai, save us. Please, Adonai, rescue us. That's Hoshiana, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. We bless you from the house of Adonai, right? That's Baruch Hashem Adonai. This is what the crowd was saying. Adonai is God, and he gives us light. Join in the pilgrim festival with branches, right? All the way to the horns of the altar. What's the pilgrim festival with branches? That's Sukkot, right? And now, a closing call to Thanksgiving back to the priest. This is the priest. You are my God, and I thank you. You are my God, I exalt you. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good, for his grace continues forever. Give yourselves a hand. That was great. Okay? So this is the story, this is the context being told over King Yeshua by the crowd. That's why they're quoting Psalm 118. It describes Yeshua... And at the same time, it sharply contrasts with 
description of Yeshua, doesn't it? He enters Jerusalem on a donkey. Not to triumph by killing his enemies, but by surrendering his own life. Not to glory in his reputation as a military victor, but to humiliate himself before a rapidly growing crowd trying to kill him. But this is precisely the point. The Davidic king, the true king of Israel, is victorious over the true enemy, which is death and sin. Rather than a political figure who overthrows the Romans, like Judah Maccabee did, or who overthrows the Philistines, like his ancestor, King David, he overthrows death by dying for the Romans and the Philistines and the Israelites and the whole world. The Romans and the Philistines, those were the traditional enemies of Israel, right? And we saw that in Psalm 18, but he dies for even his enemies. The true King Messiah is an amazing contradiction of what it means to be a king. Even Psalm 118 acknowledges this tension. The rejected stone, the unpopular stone, the unashamed stone is the very foundation of Israel and all nations. And now we come to the next chapter in the New Covenant narrative where the king does something I think no king has ever done. So he rides into town on a donkey. Some are welcoming him as the king of Israel. Some are planning to kill him. And he prepares a pre-Passover meal in John 13. Picture this scene. Now, it was just before the feast of Passover. Yeshua knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. While the Seder meal was happening, the devil had already put in the heart of Judah, Judas from Creote that he should hand over Yeshua. Yeshua knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he gets up from the meal, lays aside his outer garment, taking a towel, wrapping it around his waist. Then he pours water into a basin he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel wrapped around him. The Father has given all things into his hand. Yeshua is the viceroy, the representative that God is king over all the earth. And what is the king doing? Washing the feet of his students. He's not just their master, teacher, king. He's showing them He's their friend, and he's teaching them a new way to rule. If you want to be powerful, be weak. If you want to have influence, be a servant. Yeshua washed all his students' feet, including, of course, the feet of Judas, who he knew, he knew, was going to betray him to his enemies. What kind of king washes the smelly feet of a betrayer, Yeshua is the only one I've, I've ever heard of. Yeshua's entrance into Jerusalem and washing of the feet shows that he is unpopular, undignified, and unashamed to be shamed. We finally have all the uns here. 
In other words, he's a servant king, humble and kind and self-giving. I'd like to close with two instructions from the humble king in other parts of John 13. Let's say them together. This is from John 13, uh, verses 14 and 15. So if I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example. You should do for each other what I have done for you. And the second one, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So also you must love one another. But this, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we emulate the unpopular, unashamed to be shamed, and undignified king is by washing in one another's feet by loving others through acts of service. Remember, the king of Israel rode into Jerusalem for the last time on a donkey and then washed the feet of Judas and all his students. So how can we follow his example? I promised you another song. This is a really good song by Michael Card, uh, describing the curious kind of monarch we find in Yeshua, and it's entitled... Not that kind of king. And so the parts in parentheses are sung by a chorus and represents the thoughts of the people. Okay? So if you know it, you can sing along with me. Who do people say I am? Do you think they understand Messiah suffering salvation brings oh Yeshua you're not that kind of king you come in power to take your throne you'll show your glory in Jerusalem it's what the crowds are clamoring oh but Yeshua is not that kind of king he has come to suffer and he has come to die crucified in weakness and you may wonder why though he could call the angels he will not say a thing because you see He's not that kind of king. Amen. Hallelujah. He's so good. He's so good. Avinu, our Father, thank you for your your goodness and your love. Thank you for showing us an example through your son, Yeshua. Um, Help us to wash one another's feet. Help us to, to be servants, servant leaders, and uh, help us to uh, sh- display your love for one another that the world will, no- will know that there's a different kind of king out there and uh, that, that you bring the fullness of life and the fullness of joy um, when we put our trust in you and when we, we give you all of ourselves, O oh God. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>